Welcome to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. I am joined today by information architect, author, and educator, and all right, I'll be frank, uh, old pal of mine, Jorge Arango. Jorge, how are you? I'm doing all right, Lou. It's a pleasure to be back here. Yes. Great to be talking with you. Um, to, to me, this is like, a, when anytime I get a chance to talk ideas with you, it's like a sort of like a semester of grad school in an hour, packed, just packed in there, but hell of a lot more fun as far as I recall. Um, Jorge, you may know Jorge from uh, being the co-author with uh, Peter Morville and me on the fourth and final edition of the Polar Bear book, Information Architecture for the Web and Beyond. He also wrote a Rosenfeld Media book, uh, Living in Information. I think that's been out for, good what, four years now, three years. That's about right. I don't know. 2018. 2018. Oh, my goodness. It's been five years. I can't believe it. And um, Jorge's got a new book coming out that we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, today called Duly Noted, Principles and Practices for Thriving in the information age. It's, it's the note-taking book, and it is coming out. Uh, um, I think right now it's, it's going to go on pre-order in early December. A uh, lot of uh, balls in the air, but that's what we're shooting for uh, with a, a publication date soon after the new year, like a day after the new year, as far as I remember. Um, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but here's, a, here's one of the important points about this book. And topics like this in general are about as evergreen as they can get because you, know, you might be thinking note-taking, a book on note-taking? Well, yeah, because it's a fundamental skill in the sense that we all take it for granted. It's like saying, oh, you know, why would I read a book on writing? I know how to write. I can put letters uh, together and make words and then make sentences. Well, yeah, and you may do okay. And even if you're good at it, you could probably do better. Note-taking, I think, Jorge, is like one of those things that we can take for granted. We certainly can do for better, but everything is changing right now. And in the world, <laughs> I guess there is now a world of note-taking, right? There's a whole bunch of applications that... Um, uh, that are, are available now that just totally change the game. That's right. And you said that it's an evergreen topic, but, uh, you know, news around things like AI and um, applications of the sort you're talking about are coming out fast and furious. So it's a very fast-moving subject, uh, intriguingly. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, I, in the book, it, it's really interesting because you, uh, you, you, break, it up, you break it down so you could put it back together. You really look at note-taking skills in such an interesting way, looking at the fundamentals. You, in fact, um, you know, I, I love how you talk about notes for doing versus notes for thinking. And, and that's like, wow, that's this major differentiation that whether you're doing something in Obsidian, uh, the latest greatest software, or you're just doing stuff on paper, or on the back of your hand with a pen, it, you know, th th this is an, a fundamental truth about note-taking. Can you, can you dive into that differentiation or that dichotomy? And, and is it like the sort of thing that when you realized just sort of changed your whole way of thinking about notes? 
Yeah, one of the challenges with the concept of a note is that I think that we overload it. I think that we use that word to describe a bunch of different things that serve different purposes. At its uh, most basic, I think notes serve as an aid to memory of some sort, right? So we've seen the the cliche of people like taking a sticky note and pasting it on their fridge or their um, computer display, right? Or the, the other typical one is when you're heading to the grocery store and you stand in front of the refrigerator or in your kitchen and you open your you know, Apple Notes or whatever your main note-taking app is and you just start writing down what you need. And that's one kind of note, right? Um, the, the, the purpose of those is to somehow um, augment your memory. I mean, I've, I don't know about you, but I've had it happen that I go to the grocery store and I'm standing there in the aisles and they're like, oh my gosh, what was it that I was here for? And, uh, you know, in the absence of something like a list of items that I needed to get, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to very likely forget, um, you know, especially if, like, I have a pretty bad memory for that kind of thing. So so that is one use for notes, and they're very useful in that way. Uh, but that's not the only way that we use notes. Um, a lot of us use notes for th- kind of thinking on paper. So if you've ever found yourself planning a project, for example, you might sit down uh, and try to think about the steps that will be needed to complete the project. And the the act of putting pen on paper, and we're talking here about paper-based notes, right? Uh, but uh, we'll get into digital notes. But let's stick with paper-based ba- notes for the time being. You're, the act of putting pen to paper serves as a way to jog your mind into um, thinking through the steps that are necessary to complete the project. Um, would you so say, that's another would, modality. Would you say yeah, it's sort of like ahead. a form of of useful friction? Kind of slows mm. you down just a little bit. Yeah, and, the, and and there are studies, I'm sure you've seen these studies that say that um, taking handwritten notes somehow leads to better recall, like when mm-hmm. you're listening to a lecture or something like that. And part of it is because most people can type, or I wouldn't say most, but many people can type faster than they can write by hand. And that additional friction causes you to consider more carefully what you're writing. Um. This is something that I suffered from when I was a kid in school. And this is another reference point for me for note-taking. When I was a kid in school, I would um, have these three-ring binders, trapper keepers, right? For those of us who grew up in the the 80s. And and the way that I would take notes was I would listen to what the teacher was saying, and I would kind of try to very frantically write down stuff often verbatim, right? Like try to like capture verbatim what I was hearing. And what I would end with was this very um, long linear sequence of, of thoughts that um, when it came time to revisit the the, the material for, for studying, like kind of read like a transcript almost. Um, and uh, that's yet another use for notes, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a way of like capturing the moment somehow. But uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, you know you're just, uh, this is bringing back a, a painful memory that I, I I haven't had in about 
20 years. Uh, uh, when I, I think it was just finishing college, I got a job as a note taker. Uh, some guy in, uh, at the University of Michigan, he had a, a, a business there where he would send uh, people like me to courses. We would take notes and then he would sell them. And uh, I think I got fired <laughs> pretty quickly. And I, I think the reason was I wasn't taking verbatims. I wasn't a transcriptionist. I, I was a note taker. I thought I was adding value. And people complained. So thank you for that painful memory. Do go on. <laughs> well, I think, well, it's, it's great, right? Like, because you're illustrating the fact that uh, notes serve different purposes. Like, right. you might have thought that the the point of the notes you were taking there was to somehow capture the gist of what was being said but the gist for you might be um might not be meaningful to someone else right so right. notes are a very personal thing and one of the points that uh that i'm making in the book is that they are an extension of our mind and if you are capturing the gist for you that's your thinking that's getting captured in the paper right like it's not the other person's thinking they're coming at it with a different set of needs, a different set of expectations, different mental models, and they're going to make sense of the information differently than you are. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm not surprised that uh, you got in trouble in that case. But well, you they, know, uh, go on. Sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. No, I mean, they're just the, the whole. Well, you you've kind of covered that that dichotomy of doing versus thinking, uh, and to some degree, taking versus making. Uh, you also get into some other interesting uh, dichotomies, uh, evergreen versus transient, top-down versus bottom-up, present you versus future you. So all, all these sort of ways of looking at notes at a fundamental level. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure you, you want to go through all of these right now, but it, it sounds like you really kind of captured the anatomy of this fundamental area um, do you feel like the, the value of getting at those sort of fundamentals gives the person, let's say the reader of this book, the ability to then put notes to not only understand them better, but then to sort of put them together in new ways? There's a book by one of the O'Reilly books that I remember seeing it and getting very excited. It's called something like Brain Hacks. Uh, I, I I don't know if that's exactly the name, but it, but that that's the gist of it, right? And it's uh, and it's one of these, uh, you know, O'Reilly has a bunch of books where it's like a series of like tips on mm -hmm. how to do certain things, right? So and it was one of those, but rather than being a series of tips about how to I don't know write better Ruby or Perl or whatever, this one was a book about how to better use your mind, right? And it had a series of, of techniques and stuff like that. And um, and another book that comes to mind is uh, Howard Rheingold's Tools for Thought, mm -hmm. which traces the history of um, computers as uh, tools for mind augmentation. And I am hugely excited about those kinds of books. Okay, I'm hugely excited about ways that we can better use our minds. I think that our minds are... Um, we, we we might take it for granted in our day-to-day -day lives right but uh, it's it's among the most important things you have it's 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 one of your most important possessions is your mind right and i think that if you are serious about being um 
someone who generates value through your thinking. And I think that all of the, I consider myself a knowledge worker, you know, this, this uh, Peter Drucker phrase, mm -hmm. uh, you know, knowledge, knowledge work. Uh, I think that all of us who kind of sit in front of computers all day long, uh, hopefully what we are is, um, what we're doing is we're contributing value through the world, through our thinking. And if that is what you do, I think you have a responsibility to look after the thinking apparatus, right? And anything that will help amplify, augment, extend my capacity to think and to think well, which I will say, you know, I will say up front, it's is limited, right? Like I'm I'm somebody who like I'm aware of my limitations. Any tool that I can use to augment that is going to be exciting to me. And externalizing thoughts, externalizing your mental processes is one of the most powerful means we have, one of the most powerful means you have to think better. And the notes, you know, the humble note is accessible. It's something that we use every day. And if we use it mindfully, if, if we learn to use them a little bit better, we're going to be better thinkers. And just think about what that does. Like if you can learn to think better, you're going to be so much more effective, right? So well, that's the point. And, you know, you, you might stand a chance against uh, all the uh, the AI bots that are apparently going to replace us. And and that's actually something that we, we want to get to um, as well as some of the high-powered things that uh, Jorge is opening us up to in Duly Noted uh, using some of the more current note-taking tools or tools that help incorporate notes in new ways. We're going to get to them right after the break. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. What are you doing on November 29th? I'm asking because I know what I'll be doing and I hope you'll be part of it. Our fourth conference of the year is Design in Product. It'll be the second edition. I'm programming it with Christian Crumlish and we are really excited. We just launched the program. It's got two keynoters, John Cutler and Ellen Chisa. Can't really do better than that if you're interested in the intersection of design and product. And we've got a great program. Asia Ho, Yan McMaster, Ihan Cheng, Lauren Catan, Julie Kim, Chloe Sharp, Alfred Kahn, and Sean Chen are fleshing out that program. And we are going to delve into the topics that are bedeviling designers who are trying to work in product settings or with product people. The themes that we're exploring are alignment and partnering, setting and defending priorities, influencing and politicking. If you can do those designers, you can succeed in a product and organization or working with product people. You want to be there. It's a virtual conference on November 29th. See you then. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. My guest is Jorge Arango. We are talking about taking notes. And uh, before the break, Jorge, you really got into, in, in effect, the anatomy of the humble note, as you put it. And I think taking a closer look at them, uh, as you do in the first part of your book, duly noted, opens us up to all kinds of new possibilities. So giving, uh, in this case, the reader, uh, the, the, the vocabulary, the basic concepts, 
And then adding in some of the technologies that weren't around just a couple of years ago seems like a pretty powerful place for an individual to be. Can you paint that picture? Absolutely. So what's happened with um, notes is it parallels what's happened with so many other things as computers have taken over, right? Like as software has eaten the world. Mm -hmm. And the trajectory has been one where the early tools, the tools that we first started working with, were designed and built to mimic the way that their real-world counterparts work, right? And that's understandable because, um, you know, we're familiar with things like notepads, like paper notepads, right? Mm -hmm. And and this has happened with a bunch of other technologies. The very first motion pictures um, were basically plays that were shot as a play with a fixed camera, right? Because the vocabulary of, you know, the grammar of cinema hadn't yet developed. Uh, that takes time. And um, what's and that's happened with notes. If you look at an app like Apple Notes, which I think is pretty pervasive, anyone who has an iPhone has this app installed. Um, I'm sure that Android has equivalent apps, right? The design of these things is very much um, meant to evoke the way that we've used things like paper notebooks, right? Where you're going to take a note, you start, you know, you start a new note, you start typing into it, and that note is kind of self-contained. And um, sure, it has some features that are only available through digital technologies, like the fact that you can share that note with someone else. Um, for example, and I don't want to sound like I don't use this. Like I use Apple Notes myself. I use it a lot with my wife because it's very easy for us to type a grocery list and to share it with each other, right? It's great for that. Uh, and that's what um, what is often referred to as a transient note. Mm-hmm. The grocery list is not going to be very useful to me after I've gone to the grocery store, right? So I just toss it in much the same way that you would just crumple up a piece of paper and, and toss it in the bin. Uh For that kind of note, those tools are fine. These tools that are kind of more based on the way that we've used paper notes. Uh, I'll give you another example. If you use a Mac, there is a tool, an app that comes bundled with Macs called Stickies, stickies stickies.app, right? Use it all the time. Yeah, right. I know we've talked about this in the past that you you, you use Stickies, the Stickies app, right? And the Stickies app, when you fire it up, what it does is it puts things that look like sticky notes on your computer display, right? And you can move them around and you can reorganize them in the same way that you can do with sticky notes. They have some superpowers. You can change the font, you can make them bigger, things that you can't do with paper. But still, the design of that app is meant to evoke physical artifacts that you are familiar with. And um, as, as you and I'm sure a lot of folks listening in know, you know, computers are not, tied to mimicking the real world, there's a great deal of flexibility with the ways that you can present information. And there are, there's a long history of people exploring different ways of managing knowledge with computers, right? I mean, it goes back, I would say to the early to mid sixties with uh, folks like um, Doug Engelbart and, um, 
and and you know and even even before then um the the mimics right uh, van of our bush van of our bush right so th- which was more theoretical you know uh but uh, but there were these 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 folks who were reconceiving the way that we relate to and use information through the means of these digital computers which again are not constrained to the same limitations of the of the physical world and um, there's a long line of um software based systems that uh, allow for different ways of being Another one is Ted Nelson, another one that comes to mind, right? Like of course. this concept of Xanadu, right? Hyper, um, hypertext. Yes, hypertext, hypertext, which uh, I believe is a term he coined, right? Yeah. And uh, and the thing is, like these are really interesting, um, really interesting developments. In the in the late eighties and early nineties, Apple put out a tool called HyperCard on the Mac, right? That was the only With... paid programming role I've ever had, Jorge. What yeah. you worked on HyperCard? No, I was programming in HyperCard. I wish I had ah, worked okay. in HyperCard, but it was a fun <laughs> job anyway. Well, but then you're you're very familiar with it, yeah. and and folks, uh, you know, younger folks in the audience might wanna uh, might wanna Google it. Uh, it was a pioneering software application, uh, but other than tools like HyperCard, um, most of this development around these ideas has been in fairly specialized environments, um, tools that have been uh, used by professionals such as Tinderbox, which I've used for a long time as well, uh, but are but are more like professional tools, right? Like they're not the sort of mainstream note-taking tool that Apple Notes is. And what's happened particularly over the last five years or so is that there's been a new crop of more mainstream applications that enable many of the features of systems like hypercard right or um or you know the vision that or parts of the vision of something like xanadu and i'm referring to tools like um rome research obsidian notion and what these tools have in common is that they they kind of let go of the metaphors the real world metaphors that that uh, that are employed by tools like stickies.app or notes.app and instead they take the approach that you know this is a digital uh, native uh, activity that you're doing and uh, how can we take advantage of that fact and one of the ways that we can take advantage of that is that we can take different types of notes and in the book I've boiled it down to um, three kind of principles that um that make these kinds of notes different the first principle is that you should aim to make shorter notes and and i should preface this by saying that um what i'm talking about here is not the sort of transient note that you take when you're going grocery shopping now i'm talking about the sort of notes that you take when you're trying to learn or remember some material right like mm-hmm. so you've read a book and there's interesting ideas or important ideas there and you want to be able to remember them. This is something that I suffer from. I have terrible memory and I read a lot. And, you know, two, three years down the line, I'm like, where did I read that? What was that idea? It's like, I can't remember, right? So so that's what I'm talking about here. So the first principle, you know, make shorter notes. In the past, when I took notes for books, I would have sat down and like written this very long thing that tried to capture everything. 
But what happens in reality is that many of the ideas in that book are going to relate to other ideas in other books. So you can extract those ideas, reference them from the book you read them at, but extract them so that they stand on their own. And then you can connect them to all the other books, articles, papers, YouTube videos, or whatever that references. So atomic note-taking, if you will. Atomic note-taking, and that's actually the phrase that's used in this field of uh, tools for thought, right? Like people talk of atomic notes. The second principle is if you you make these short notes, but on their own, they're not of much use. So you need to connect your notes, right? And uh, the again, if if I've sat down and read a book and pulled out five important ideas from that book, I want to have a note for the book itself, but I also want to have notes for each of those ideas and connect them so that I know which book I got that idea from, right? And you can imagine that over time, if you do this consistently, you will start finding connections between ideas in different sources, right? And that brings us to the third principle, which is that you need to nurture your notes. So going back to the the trapper keeper, uh, pretty much when the when when I was tested on whatever lecture I had written down, I had no further use for that note. You know, I could crumple the paper and it, like I, it, it didn't matter to me. And at the end of the year, I would have these binders full of notes that I think my mom tossed or something because I, you know I would never revisit them, right? But if you again, if you're serious about expanding your uh, your your cognitive abilities and and doing it through technologies, you need to consider that what you are doing here is you're building a knowledge repository that you're going to that is going to serve you for the rest of your life. I'm going to stop you right there because that is a good term, but it's such a dry term compared to the one you use in the book, which is a knowledge garden. Yes. I um I love the idea of the garden as a metaphor for this kind of work. I originally um got this from Brian Eno. Mm-hmm. And and in fact it's 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 uh, there's a chapter in Living in Information called Gardening where I where I reference Eno's work and and Eno makes a distinction between architecture and gardening. Where where an architect um is uh, defining the structures of the system kind of up front right and then um and then uh accommodating the system to those structures somehow and it, and it's it's a bit of a caricature right but uh but um but uh for the purpose of of this uh of this metaphor i think it works well and he he contrasts that uh the term architecture with gardening in that a gardener a gardener does um set up structures and processes but what what they're doing is a gardener is stewarding a living thing right and it and and stewarding a living thing is different from architecting a thing that will kind of stand on its own in stewarding a living thing you need to you need to put in the work you need to nurture it you need to um you need to uh uh walk through the garden in the cool of the evening right that kind of thing uh, and take pleasure from it because that's the other reason why I like gardening. It's not just a chore. People who like gardening, they take pleasure from gardening, right? So it's it's all about a particular stance towards knowledge. It's like this is not something that you have to do. This is something that, when done properly, becomes a source of pleasure 
for your life. So you're 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 um, you're creating joy for yourself and expanding your cognitive abilities. What could be better, right? Well, it's so interesting to me because you know, like at at sort of the uh, mechanical level, you make me think about things like note as query. You know, you take an atomic note and you put it in a system like Obsidian or, or Notion and it can, or a wiki maybe, and it can, it can automatically serve as a query that links to other notes based on some really basic information retrieval. On the other hand, it is so rich when you start stepping back and exploring this through the lens of metaphor, the nurturing you talk about, the garden... Uh, as you talk, I'm starting to think about another popular metaphor, which is cooking. And you're basically cooking these atoms of, of notes together and making a stew. But that stew, all those flavors don't emerge unless you put them together in some container and add something else, whether it's heat or or, or something else to bring them together. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. These knowledge gardens are these new places that didn't exist, couldn't exist before. And you don't have to do all the work of connecting in, like you would have had to do if you had, you know, the, the Memex even wouldn't do this for you. But now digitally you can... These things, if you nurture them, if you curate them, if you cook them up, come together. And that's really exciting. So, I mean, what, what kinds of, I mean, are you seeing people, whether it's yourself or, or people that you know professionally or what have you, that are, are tending knowledge gardens and, and what's growing in those gardens? Yeah, for sure. Um well, I, I want to touch on this idea of uh, of having the system set up, be set up in such a way that the connections are surfaced. Uh, that is one of the things that differentiates tools like Rome Research and Obsidian from things like Apple Notes, right? Because in Apple Notes, especially the latest release uh, that just came out, um, it it improves the ability to link. To, to create links within notes. And, you know, they've added the ability to link to other notes, which is a very important step. Um, that's only new this year, right? Uh, but one of the things that uh, tools like Rome Research and uh, Obsidian give you is they have what is called backlinks, which is you open a note and you can see all the other notes that are pointing to that one. So you've, you haven't made an explicit link there. It's a link that is just like a retroactive link. And what that does is it lets you... Um, it lets you find relationships and patterns that you might not have been aware of, you know, before. And uh, and the other thing I will say here, uh, and uh, I, I suspect we won't have enough time to get into it in depth, but um, you alluded to earlier to uh, the bots, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the AI stuff. And uh, I think a lot of people um, right now, we're, we're kind of in the AI hype cycle right now, right? And mm -hmm. there's all sorts of... Uh, very extravagant claims about the capabilities of these systems. Uh, but um, what, one of the things that um, that the current crop of AIs, particularly large language models, one of the things that they're really good at is finding relationships, finding patterns in, in texts, right? And um, 
if you do what I've been describing, if you take shorter, more atomic notes, you take the effort to connect them and you nurture them, you can use AI to help you discover relationships you might have missed. You know, it, it can it can lead to insights. You know, if you're if you're a somewhat serious reader, I don't consider myself a serious reader, but like a somewhat serious reader. Um, um, and you and you do the work of like capturing what you've read, you can have these things that function as assistance to you, right? Um, I think of the AIs as being on a continuum between <clears throat> no impact on one end and uh, complete replacement on the other end of our of our of our capabilities. And I think that what we're aiming for is something in the middle. You know, and it's something like a, a, um, a secretary or an assistant, right? Where, um, you know, it goes it goes beyond something like autocomplete and and just starts suggesting. It's like, hey, do you, you know, you might have missed this, or um, um, I'll give you an example of how how I'm using it with my notes. Um, I use Obsidian uh, as my main knowledge garden. And Obsidian, one of the benefits it has, it has this very vibrant community um, of folks developing plugins. And one of the plugins that I use uh, allows uh, Obsidian to tap into the the GPT series mm-hmm. of AI engines, right? And uh, if I'm taking notes on a book I've read, I can uh, query up the the AI right in the midst of my notes. And I can ask it questions about the book, and if it's a, a it, you know, it works better for some books than others. Uh, if it's a classic work, like for example, uh, War and Peace, right? I, I, I finished reading War and Peace earlier this year. It's a very long book. It it took me a while. I mean, I was reading it kind of at a leisurely play, uh, leisurely pace, and uh, when I was done, I um, I sat down, I kind of wrote down my reflections on the book, and then I asked. Um, Chat GPT. I said, you know, what is this book about? And uh, it gave me some answers. Uh, you know, some of it was like, well, you know, sometimes these these AIs give you answers that are like, ah, this seems off. I, I had just read the book. I could tell if it was BSing me or not. But it was. It gave me a pretty good synopsis. War and Peace is a book that is old enough and has been written about enough where you know it can feed the corpus mm-hmm. in such a way that the answers are pretty okay. And um, and I could start asking it questions, right, uh, about this thing. And and I and I had this kind of conversation with this uh, secretary of sorts, right. And it wasn't about like doing the homework for me. I had already read the book. This was more about like, hey, help me clarify my thinking about this. Like, what 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 was it that I got out of this? Uh, and, and and it's invaluable, right? Uh, but that wouldn't that wouldn't work if I'm like I'm not trying to. Uh, delegate the reading of War and Peace to the book to the to the AI. That's not the point. The point is like, how can it help me get more out of the experience? Right. Well, what I'm envisioning from this conversation is this interesting world that's suddenly accessible to us in in ways maybe it even wasn't a year ago, and that is the sort of concentric circles of knowledge gardening that we can do. I mean, I don't necessarily want to find out what what other people on the web may be thinking about such and such. I might want to start with my own notes 
and my own knowledge guarding will be that start that will be that starting place. But these tools are better and better at connecting knowledge gardens between people and my trusted advisors, my friends, my doctoral advisor, whatever it might be, uh, I'll be able to access their notes in ways that maybe I couldn't before. And then I may want to go further out to that furthest circle of knowledge, which is the, the corpus of the web and, and AI is obviously going to be important there. We could go on and on and on. And I wish we had more time, but Jorge, we got to wrap up and in fine Rosenfeld review tradition, I'm going to ask you, uh, what you bring for our listeners? What's the presence you brought us, Jorge? Well, the presence, I'm, I'm, you know, we've been talking about reading and getting stuff out of books. So I'm going to suggest a couple of books that I think would be valuable and uh, interesting to, to listeners. One is Annie Murphy Paul's The Extended Mind, uh, which is, and, and I'll, I'll read you the subtitle. I, I have it here at arm's length and you'll see lots of sticky notes, right? Mm -hmm. um, the fo folks who are listening in might have to imagine that, but my, my physical copy of this book is just uh, completely covered in stickies. Um, but the subtitle of the book is The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. And... Uh, and what this book does, it is it, it, it explains um, some of the scientific research that's been done over the last uh, few years, few decades, I would say, uh, around this concept of extended um, or embodied cognition, mm -hmm. where the idea is that thinking doesn't happen just in the the meat computer that we have at the top, you know, above our shoulders. It somehow happens between our brain, our nervous system and uh, the world in which we interact, right? Including things like notes. So that's an important uh, book. I think that anyone who is interested in the sort of uh, things that Rosenfeld Media listeners are likely interested in should check out this work, uh, you know, and this, this idea of embodied cognition. Mm -hmm. And the second book is actually one of your own stable of books. Um, it's Figure It Out by Carl Fast and Steven Anderson. And uh, the reason I'm recommending that book is that that book too is about these ideas of, of um, thinking uh, in the world. But uh, Carl and Steven um, do the work of translating that to people who design experiences, right? And and for, for people who do the, the sort of work that... Um, that folks usually turn to Rosenfeld Media for. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I think it's a, those two complement each other well. Aren't you and Carl um, teaching a workshop as well? Yes, Carl. Uh, I have to say, uh, Carl is a dear friend of mine, and um, he and I um, have talked extensively. He's he's advised me as we've you know, as the process of, of developing duly noted has, has, has come about. And, um, and he and I are going to do a workshop on um, building a knowledge garden. Like, how do you do this? Right. And, and, and the real, you know, you, you kind of uh, did a face when I said that I don't read that much. It's because I'm comparing myself to Carl. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Carl, well, Carl reads a lot. And he's an um, excellent teacher, just like you. 
Well, he's he's a really really good teacher, and yeah. uh, and we're we're going to jointly teach this workshop. It's going to be after Thanksgiving, and uh, folks can find out more about that by going to buildapkg.com, build a personal knowledge garden, right? Like PKG. Got it. Jorge, thank you. My goodness, everyone listening. Uh, like I said, we could have gone a lot longer. I, I love taking a fundamental of existing in the world in, in this day and age, namely note-taking, and uh, the way you've you've sort of broken it down. I was going to say demystified it, but I think you've really kind of uh, taken a new look at it. And uh, and the book points a way for building knowledge gardens that uh, work with AI, maybe preserve us from AI, <laughs> economically at least, and uh, open up so many possibilities so jorge thank you so much um so looking forward to getting duly noted out there uh people it will be out i believe like uh january 2nd thereabouts don't worry you will let you know jorge thanks again for joining us on the rosenfeld review thank you lou it's always a pleasure thanks for listening to the rosenfeld review brought to you by rosenfeld media if you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com. <laughs>